All right, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll encourage everyone to have a Bible and follow along. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. Let the Word of God teach. I had a thought a little while back I shared with Diane that I think the perfect sermon would be one in which only God's word is spoke. And no pastor filling and pastor fluff and pastor entertainment would be included. So I look forward to that at some point coming. On that note, let me pray. Father God, we just exalt you and you alone in this place. And we gather as the saints in one accord to bear witness that you are the one true living God, the ancient of days, the Holy One of Israel, the stone not cut by human hands. You are the I am. And we recognize you in this place. We recognize your sovereignty. We recognize your authority. We recognize your power. We recognize that you are the maker of all things, that the whole earth is yours and everything in it, that this space is yours, that this time is yours, that the agenda for today is yours. We recognize, Lord, that those of us who are authentically born again, that we indeed are yours. And we pray that you would have your way with us in us and through us today. May your word and only your word come forth with conviction, with clarity, with certainty. And we pray for ears to hear with zero defensiveness, with zero masquerading with naked honesty and with soft hearts that would receive what you have for us. Because we know that you are the one true living God, because we know that we belong to you, because we know that you love us and want the best for us. We say your truth come forth and we will submit to it we will bend to it and not ask it to bend to us. Give us ears to hear today, Lord, what you're speaking. Allow this mouthpiece to be a pure vessel. I surrender it to you. Pray that by your spirit, only your words would come forth. In Jesus' name, amen.
So, um, so the Lord started uh, started me on this next revelation via a text that kind of brought together some things that were happening before Tabernacles and some things that have happened since Tabernacles. And, um, and the text was from a friend who uh, we got to spend some time with, our family got to spend some time with, and, and we were kind of sharing some texts afterwards. And one of the things that she shared was that um, she was missing and the family was missing the togetherness that we experienced. And, um, and that word togetherness just really st struck me and stayed with me. And, and it was like the Lord highlighted it to me. And um, it's been um, since that text that a lot of things have kind of come full circle and, and um, why this is, this is the topic that we're going to study together and, and dig into. Um, togetherness is something that we are uh, going to pursue as a congregation of saints. And um, specifically the things that we must do to take hold of this togetherness and to protect it and likely the things that we're going to need to not do or avoid to protect it and take hold of it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into the things that promote togetherness and unity and oneness. And, um, and I want to start off by... Today's going to be kind of foundational and big picture focused in the details are going to be in the weeks to come. I feel like the Lord gave me about four sermons today, this morning. And um, it, because I think it's four, it's probably more like eight. And so um, there's a lot of scriptures behind me, and I, I'm honestly going to do my best to only give you some of it today. Um, because today's um, foundational and big picture and um, super important. I've been in ministry for 17 years. I know that because I quit my job and moved into full-time ministry a couple of months after Lacey was born. And you're 17. So um, I've been in ministry for 17 years. I've been pastoring NCC for almost 10 years. This spring will be 10 years if, I, if, if I'm correct. And, um, and I can say this without hesitation. Um, it's not a super long time. I recognize that I've been in ministry. But it's long enough to have seen a number of patterns emerge in people it's long enough to have experienced um, these patterns or these common reactions or responses to things um, to be able to speak about 
how I see community both built and torn down within the church. And um, the first thing that's true um, that my Bible teaches me is that true unity and true community and togetherness is absolutely possible. And the togetherness that the scriptures speak about, and the New Testament in particular speaks about, thank you, bud, um, is a togetherness that I'm desperate for. And it's a togetherness that I feel like we've had glimpses of and moments of experiencing. And it's home. It's home to trust people. It's home to love people. It's home to believe the best in people. It's home to speak only the best about people. And it's, I get homesick because there's not enough of that. And I know you guys do too. And um, when Paul writes about unity um, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, when Jesus prays for unity in John 17, um, 1 Corinthians 1, Colossians 3, Galatians 3, um, there's, there's a number of ways in which the Holy Spirit wrote through men about the oneness that we can share. He says in Galatians 3 that, that there's no Greek or Jew, no free or slave, not even male or female, but the body of Christ is one in Christ. Acts chapter 4 talks about the church being of one heart and of one mind. So we can know because the word of God is truth that that is available to us. That it is possible for us to be one. That it is possible for us to be united. That it is possible for us to experience true supernatural togetherness. Agreed? So, so as it relates to that togetherness that the scriptures te teach about and to my experience in ministry over the last 17 years, I can easily say that based on real experience after experience after experience after experience that as it relates to taking hold of this togetherness, that there is a very important moment that we need to identify. All right, so, so today from a, from a big picture standpoint and a foundation standpoint and to build off of in the weeks to come as it relates to the specifics about taking hold of this togetherness, I want us to understand 
the significance of unity as it relates to a very specific moment. And today we're going to define what that moment is. Okay? Um, in this moment, how we respond, and when I say we, I mean me as a pastor, I mean you as members of community, and each of us as individuals, how we respond in the moment that we're going to define today will literally either bring about division or togetherness. And like most of the things of God, those are really the only two options. There's, there's very rarely a third option as it relates to the things of God. So let me repeat that. We're going to define a moment today. And it's a moment that is absolutely critical for any congregation taking hold of the supernatural togetherness that's available to us. And how we respond in this moment that we're going to define today is very likely, and maybe 100% of the time, either going to bring about one of two things, either division or this unity. Not a third option. So how we respond in this moment is super important. And how we respond in this moment will absolutely determine whether or not we, as the saints of God, in this community, we'll be able to experience what we all long for. Amen? So before we define that moment, which we're going to, I promise, I want to I want to build a foundation for that foundation uh, that we all must be in one accord in. Uh, so get your Bibles out. And here's where we're just going to let the scriptures do the teaching. So the first passage we're going to read is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, if someone wouldn't mind reading that. I'm sorry, buddy, that was the wrong one. Although that was truth. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the one I wanted. It's uh, Hebrews 10, 12. Thank you for your patience. Hebrews 10, 12, buddy, you want to try that one? Okay, so who's he talking about here? Jesus doing what? Making one sacrifice, one all-sufficient, fully complete, 100% accomplished sacrifice. So accomplished, so complete, so sufficient, so impossible to be added to, his only response having done it is to mic drop, sit down. Right? Mission accomplished. And now go with me to verse 14 and let's, let's, let's hear what the author of Hebrews says what, what was accomplished. For by one offering, 
He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Everyone hear that? Another passage says, by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And the reason this passage has always been so powerful to me and so compelling for me is because it it brings to light what often becomes a confusing part of the gospel invitation and the, and the reality of the gospel and what's been accomplished on the cross because bless you in that in that one sentence we see we see the two things that that often we can't seem to put together correctly it's that by one sacrifice, we're made perfect, right? We, we usually get that part right. If you are covered by the blood, you are justified by the Father. You are justified before the Father. The righteousness of Christ is fully imputed upon us. We are clothed in Christ. We are seated in Christ. We are buried in Christ. We are one in Christ. We get that part. We are made perfect because of his perfect life. Right? We get that part. What's the second part, though? We, who, those of us who are made perfect are also what? Being made holy or being sanctified. So that is a one and done piece, and that is a process, not yet done piece. Right? It's difficult, especially in truncated gospel invitations, to, to put those two things together. You, you usually either just get the first part or just get the second part. Usually just the first part. Right? But, but for us to understand a foundational piece that, that we're going to build here today, we've got to hear what the Word of God says. That we are justified and made perfect by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But from that position of already perfect in Christ, we are also being made holy or being sanctified. Okay? So let's hear what Paul says about it. We're just going to unpack what each of these Holy Spirit vessels said on the topic. Next one is Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. If someone can please read that. Romans 8. 29 and 30. Awesome. So, so you probably heard um, kind of the, the stacking of three $5 Bible words, right? It's justification, sanctification, glorification, right? And all three of those represent the journey that we're on, right? The first one, the justification piece, you and I absolutely could not do on our own. 
Obedience to the law would never accomplish it. Human will, human power, the determination of the flesh, absolutely nothing we could do to earn a right standing with the Father. The justification piece had to be taken on by God himself. Okay? Justified at the cross and at the cross alone. Sanctified in our life during this age. Right? The process of being what? What does Paul say? Conformed into the image of Christ. Justified at the cross, sanctified or transformed or conformed into the image of Christ in this age so that in the age to come we would be glorified. Sanctified at the cross, justified, I'm sorry, justified at the cross, sanctified in this age and glorified in the age to come. Right? So we have to understand that we are justified in order to become something. And Paul says it beautifully. Right? We are adopted to become in the likeness of the begotten. We are adopted as sons to be conformed into the image of the begotten son. Right? So when does that, play, when does that happen? From the moment we are justified as a singular moment as a process until we are glorified. For most of us, that will be after we are de dead and resurrected. Are we right? We, we tracking? All right, so... Um, sanctification as a process. We speak about it often. Let's just unpack it quickly. The Greek word is... Hagiazo. Hagiazos, uh, I'm sorry, sanctification. It means to purify or be made pure, to consecrate or consecration, or to be made holy or holiness. So that is a process according to everything the scriptures teach. We are justified as a single act. We are sanctified as a process. We are glorified at the resurrection. Okay? So what we want to focus on and the foundation that we're building on is the sanctification piece. The sanctification piece happens from the moment you are born again until the moment you die. Okay? Um, this is a transformation process. It is the process of constantly being transformed from what we currently are or were to what we are intended to become, which is the image of Christ. Okay? This is a process that Christ prayed for and prayed about in John 17, verse 17, in which he said what? Okay, one of the final things that Jesus prayed, a very important passage because it tells us how we are sanctified. Right? If you have heard a word that I have said yet today, your question should be, how are we sanctified? By the word of God. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here's what this looks like, saints. We study the truth. What's the truth? The Bible. Not a book about the Bible. Not a podcast about the Bible not a sermon about the Bible. 
None of those things are guaranteed to sanctify us. There's only one thing that is, the Bible. So we, we study the Bible, we study the truth, we, now here's where it gets convicting, hopefully, we study the truth, we learn the truth, we submit to that truth, we align with that truth, and then we live in that truth. And that is how we are sanctified. Right? There is something powerful about the impossible word of God that accomplishes something in us, something transformative. Right? I can read someone else's stuff and learn something. But when I learn from the word and apply the word, it literally changes me. That's sanctification. It is metamorphosis in other translations. Right? Becoming something brand new altogether, starting with a single moment at the cross justification. Then an ongoing process from that moment to the day we die, sanctification. And at the moment we are resurrected, glorified. Okay, this is a foundation we're building. What is sanctification? It's a very incredible process of being conformed into the image of Christ. It's a, a, a word that I'm pretty sure is not a word, but I'm going to say it anyway. I wrote down, it is constantly and ongoingly, which I don't think is a word, but constantly and ongoingly adding the things that God commands us to do and subtracting the things that God commands us not to do. Okay, this is how the word of God, the truth, Right? This is how the truth changes us. When we study it and learn it and surrender to it and submit to it and align with it and allow it to inform our lives, it means we start adding stuff that God says to add. And it means we start subtracting stuff that God says to subtract. And through that process, somehow, way, by the power of the Spirit, through the conviction of the Spirit and the surrender to it, we literally become something new. And this is not a single process. This is an ongoing thing. An ongoing thing. And how long does this ongoing thing last? Till the day we die. Okay, are we all in agreement about that? Okay, pardon me? Good. My next question. Is it important, because we are in one accord about the importance of sanctification as a process... Is it important for us to embrace as saints of the one true God that process? Yes. It's very important that we submit to that and embrace that process. It is incredibly important for you and I to say yes to sanctification. Okay? Because that is important, the second question is, is it important for us to unite with other saints that have also said yes to the sanctification process. Yes. yes, that is very important. It is incredibly important for you and I to agree and embrace sanctification on our own and do life with others who have agreed to embracing sanctification in their lives. That is very important. That we are all in one accord, that we are supposed to do this and we are supposed to do this together. That is a foundational piece to the togetherness that we are seeking. Everyone hear me? 
Okay, now let me, let me ask this question. I want to motivate us for sanctification. I want to excite us for sanctification. I want, I want us to all be excited about what sanctification brings and does and happens, the fruit that comes when we are conformed into the image of Christ, when we walk as he walked, right? When we become labeled by those outside the church Christians, like they did in Acts chapter 11, not because a religion has started, but because a group of people were walking around looking a lot like Christ. Okay, so, so what, what does it do for us? What, what comes with it? Should we be ex what should we be excited about? Let's just look at a few more texts. First one, Exodus chapter 20. As we read these, we're going to list out fruits or blessings or benefits that come with sanctification. Okay, first one, Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. Someone read, please. Okay, so what, what, are, what are any, any fruits that you get just from that verse? Mercy. Mercy. Any, any others? That's, that's the primary one I was looking for. When we walk in God's ways, God shows us mercy. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Holy cow. Okay, next one, Deuteronomy. This is a little bit longer one. Deuteronomy 28. Verses 9 through 14. Deuteronomy 28, 9 through 14. We're looking for the fruit of sanctification, the fruit of walking in God's ways, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of aligning with the truth, the fruit of experiencing conformity into the image of Christ and embracing the process of sanctification, what's promised to us. Deuteronomy 28, 9 through 14. How many promised goodness in that few sentences? Probably too much to, to list. Let's just say blessings. We're, 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 pardon me? Yeah.
we're, we're seeing what the scriptures offer us to excite us about the sanctification process. All right? God shows mercy to those who keep his commandments. God promises abundant blessings to those who walk in his ways. Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms. Someone read that one for me. I love this metaphor specifically. Amen. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night and becomes what? Like a tree planted by the rivers of the waters. It bears its fruit in season and his leaves will never wither. Everything he does will prosper. Everything he does will prosper. And their prosper means specifically flourish and be strong and healthy. I'm going to draw an awesome tree right there just so you, re just so, just so you remember that one. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Yes. Matthew 5 and 19. Read that second half again. Everyone hear what Jesus is saying there. Everyone who keeps and teaches God's commandment will be what? Called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's a promise. In red letters by Messiah. We're looking at what the word promises us as a result or as an outflow of us embracing the sanctification process. Are we talking about some pretty good things here? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Amen. What's 2? What's that? No, what's verse 2? Oh, was that it? I just wanted to put together two words here. Okay, um, and, and it was actually verse 1 that, that I missed that I wanted to speak. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what, holy and pleasing to God. 
So the, the, the combination there that is so important is that there is, according to the scriptures, really one way to please God. One. And that is what? Holiness. It is the way to please God. Holiness is the way we please God. Okay, so is pleasing God a benefit? And, and that is just one. Yeah, you got another one? There are many, 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 many passages that connect holiness and being pleasing to God. Obedience and pleasing God. Yep. Anyone that the scriptures reference that pleased God walked in his ways, obeyed his commandments, kept his charge, kept his statutes, his judgments, and his precepts, as Abraham did. As Noah did, as Enoch did, as David did, as John the Baptist did. All right, so we're, we're, we're coming up with a list. The fruit of sanctification, we get God's mercy, we get abundant blessings, we get prosperity not in the, not, not in the uh, Mercedes-Benz ways, but in the everything you do will flourish. We get restoration, we get greatness in the kingdom, we get pleasingness to God. Uh, how about Galatians 6, 7 through, 7 through 10? Whenever a passage begins with, be not deceived, God will not be mocked, listen real carefully. Yes. Because, the, because Paul is saying there, this is, a, this is a topic that people are deceived on often. Yes. And, and, and what is the topic? Whatever you sow, you will reap. Yeah. Okay? Why? Because God's not going to be mocked. God's not going to be mocked. Whatever you reap, you will sow. I'm sorry, whatever you sow, you will reap. So a part of the sanctification process is going to be sowing in the Spirit. Right? When you sow in the Spirit, you reap what? Everlasting life. When you sow in the flesh, you reap what? Destruction, corruption, death, pig pods. Okay? We're, we're building a case for the excitement of sanctification. Why is that? Because we want to be in one accord as individuals and as a community that we're going to embrace this together. Right? Amen. Last one, Hebrews 12, verse 14. We probably know this one all. also. Make every effort. Go ahead, buddy. Is that a big deal? Yes. Do you want to be useful to the kingdom? Yes. Listen to me, saints. As Christians, we are perfectly useless to the kingdom yes. if all we do is conform to this world. Yes. So as we pursue holiness, one of the most repeated commandments in all the scriptures is, Be ye holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
as we pursue holiness, which means to pursue distinctness, which means to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, not be conformed to the ways of this world, but rather be conformed to the image of Christ, who was the Holy One of Israel, who walked in God's ways perfectly. As we pursue that, we become useful to the kingdom because people see God. They see his goodness. They see his rightness. They see this list lived out in, in someone's life. They see a tree planted by the water that bears fruit in season and whose leaves never wither. They see a light on a hill. They see a great marriage. They see amazing kids. They see somehow, some way, this family is covered and protected like sheep of the pasture of a special kind of shepherd. Right? So we have to pursue this so people can see that. I'm not sure it, that sort of makes its way on this list, but that's even bigger than this list. Right? And we talked about it two weeks ago and we spent the whole time on it. So I'll just repeat. Walking in God's ways is the primary way that we both know the Father and love the Father. Right? So, so at the top of this list, 100% is literally just knowing and loving the God of the Bible. The further that we embrace the sanctification process, the further we, that we allow for this transformation to happen by the Spirit's conviction, by the Spirit's power, and by the Word, we will just come to know the Father better and more intimately. We will come to love Him better and more perfectly. And there's nothing more important than those two things. So I repeat the question to create a foundation on which we are in one accord regarding the sanctification process. Is it important for you and I to embrace it? And if it is important for you and I to embrace the sanctification process, which starts the moment we are born again, at the moment we are justified, and lasts until when? How do we know it's the day we die? Because in every letter to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, it promises incredible rewards to those who do what? Endure and persevere to the very end. Right? The promises in each of those seven letters are eternal, by the way. The rewards in each of those seven letters are eternal rewards. Profound eternal rewards that are promised to everyone who perseveres and endures until the very end. That's how long sanctification as a process lasts in our life, right? Right up until the great white throne of judgment. Okay? If it's, imp if it's important for each of us as individuals to embrace that process, then can we be in one accord and in agreement that it's also important for us to do life with other individuals that feel that same way? Should this or perhaps could this be the, the, the most, one of the most important aspects to the togetherness that we are seeking? That we're on this journey together. That we're in this process together. Not that we have 
service together, right? Not that we live fairly close to each other. Not that our kids get along pretty well. I'm thankful for all three of those things, by the way. But those are, those are fleeting, not powerful things to base our togetherness on. If our togetherness is tied to first and foremost being one in Christ, and secondly, as it relates to this teaching, collectively embracing this sanctification process, that's something we can be united about. That's something we should be united about. So, the revelation that I got this year over the fall holy days was a very powerful one for me. And, um, and it's exactly why we keep the Moedim, by the way. Because every time we do, God reveals more. Every time we do, God opens our eyes more. Right? And so our act is just simple, simple obedience. Walk it out as best we know how. And then God just does something amazing. He blesses us as this list promises. So he blessed me this year, I felt like, with just a, a really profound revelation. And, and as with um, the spring holy days, which were so unique and the, um, the combination of them, as it's prescribed, was a part of the power of the revelation. And mark my words, saints, we will look back on 2020 and the Moedim of 2020 in particular and say God was doing something big. I promise you that's the truth. So, so as the combination in the spring was powerful, so the combination in the fall to me was very powerful. Starting with uh, trumpets just being this reminder that the stone not cut by human hands is coming. And I can either choose to fall on that stone now and be broken and conformed into his image, or I can choose to have that stone crush me into frickin' powder. It's one or the other. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord either now or then. So it was a, rem it was a reminder to me to be ready. As the, as the bridegroom, as the bride to the bridegroom, be ready. And know that he knows you and you know him because he's coming. And as a part of the knowing of him and being prepared for him, the day of atonement reminded me that I am going to stand before the white throne of judgment. I'm going to stand before that throne and give an account for every word I've spoken. Based on one standard the perfect law of God. And heaven and earth will be in place until that day because they are witnesses that God has established. And they flee, and they flee, listen to me, they flee in front of the great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20. Why? Because in the age to come, which immediately precedes, I'm sorry, immediately follows the white throne of judgment in the age to come. It is a new heaven and a new earth, 
And the old heaven and the old earth have passed away, and guess what else is no longer there? Sin, death, tears, mourning, crying, pain, and anything else that is not of the will of the Father. And the revelation to me that was so powerful this year is the Day of Atonement is to remind me that as we head into the Feast of Tabernacles, I don't get to take my sin with me. I don't get to take my idols with me into the age to come. Revelation 22, verse 14, I believe, says that those who enter into the city and have access to the tree of life are those who do what? Keep the commandments of God. That is the last page of the Bible for everyone who thinks it's only the Old Testament that talks about God's commandments. The last page of the Bible says that those who enter into the holy city and have access to the tree of life are those who keep God's commandments. Doing the things that God says to do, not doing the things he says not to do. I don't get to take my idols into eternity. Praise God for that. As his love banished Adam and Eve from the garden in the beginning, so his love will not allow me to take my sin into heaven or my deceptions, or my strongholds, or my idols in any, in any way. So Tabernacles is this time to literally practice that. That was the, the revelation God gave me. Go for a week and practice living the way we will live forever. And what's the fundamental root or, or foundation of that practice? Knowing God with an unveiled face and an undivided heart. No sin, no idols. No lies, no deceptions. Wow, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And to, and to the tiny extent that we experienced that, what did, it, what did it ultimately help us to take hold of? A, a togetherness that is absolutely amazing. So in the age to come, when we are glorified in an incorruptible glorified body, knowing the Father face to face, having his name on our foreheads, a totally undivided heart, no idols, no sin, no old man, no old self, no old habits. The thing towards which all this is headed. The perfect original intention of God that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 fully realized in Revelation 22. As we, as, as I feel like my eyes have been opened, another layer of understanding, another layer of clarity um, on on Tabernacles in particular, I felt like um, God was beginning to connect a dot for me, connect um, a couple of dots, actually. And, and it was um, connecting a number of the, um, a, a teaching that Jesus made a number of times with this idea that we don't take sin into eternity. We don't take our idols into the age to come. And, and it was all these teachings, 
and, and every one of them are essentially the same teaching that Christ made, which was more or less, if, if you want to take hold of the life that I'm offering you, you got to completely let go of your old life. And in fact, the best way to not take hold of the life that I am offering you and promising you is to try and hold on to that old life, or even more painfully, try and drag that old life into the new life that I'm offering you. If you look at each of these teachings, those are basically what he is saying. Uh, let's read one. Let's read um, John twelve twenty-five. Someone read that one for us. Okay, let, let, me, let me set this up. This is Jesus talking about your old man. This is Jesus talking about your old self. This is Jesus talking about your, your flesh. This is Jesus talking about your non-born again habits, appetites, desires, beliefs, traditions, and everything else. This is Jesus talking about that life, that old life. And what's he say? If you love that life, you're going to lose. And? And he who hates his life. Hates what life? That old life. Your old self, your old flesh, your old habits, your old routines, your old idols, your old traditions, your old sin. If you hate that. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Amen. Read the next verse. Okay, so there Jesus is talking about if you loved your old life, if there are things in your old life that you loved and you try and hold on to those, that's the first way you're going to lose the life that I'm offering you. Listen to me. There's a reason they say we are buried in Christ. There are reasons why they call the born again moment being born again, because the old life has to die. If the old life doesn't die, the, 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 the tendency is to try and drag it along. Right? Your favorite idol, your favorite sin, your favorite deception, your favorite mistress, whichever one she is, if you don't die to that thing, you're going to try and drag it along. And Jesus is saying if you try and drag it, you're going to lose what I have for you. You can't take your sin into heaven. All of this is practiced towards and, and moving towards the culmination, right? And he says that those, if you are truly following me, you're going to be where I am, right? So there's this idea of movement and movement forward, right? And I kept thinking on tabernacles, I kept thinking about these teachings of Jesus saying these things. You got to take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hold on to your old life, you'll lose the life that I'm giving you. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but, but the Son of Man and those who follow him, you'll, you have nothing. You can't even go back and bury the dead. You can't go back and put the hand to the plow. Remember Lot's wife. All of these references 
He's looking for those that won't look back. Why? Because every time we look back, we pick up another one of our old sins and try and drag it into new creation. Guess what? It ain't welcome. It is not welcome in new creation. Your idols, my idols, my strongholds, my deceptions, anything, any false Jesus, any false gods, any carved images, anything that does not bend a knee to the Lord and declare that Jesus is Lord, it cannot come into the new earth and it will not be welcome in the holy city. So the sanctification process is, is the beginning of this journey, right? This journey towards that destination. So, so here's the, the picture that the Lord gave me was based on Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Someone read that one for me real quick. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Okay, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So the, so the picture that the Lord gave me was like um, a hallway. And, um, and it was a hallway that stretched out forward. And the hallway itself had walls, real high walls. And the, the path, kept getting narrower and narrower as it went forward, right? And we were invited, and the whole sanctification process is to continue down that path, right? And so um, the narrowness um, was important, and it came into play because every time we got to a point where the sin that we were walking in and the idols that we were still carrying and the deceptions that we still believed, when those things were almost like wide enough because we're still carrying them, when they're wide enough to where we like literally can't get down the hall anymore, that's a very important moment. And that is a moment and that is the moment that this entire teaching is about. Okay? Here's the truth, saints. Right up until right now, everyone in this room is in exuberant, excited agreement about what I'm talking about. We all love the idea of the sanctification process and the, whole, and the pursuit of holiness and the, and the promised rewards and blessings and benefits that come with it. We all love that idea. Do we not? We can get excited about that idea. We can be passionate about that idea. We can be in one accord about that idea. And doggone it, we are that right now. I can feel it. Right? Here's, here's the important moment that the Lord is highlighting. Listen to me. This is the moment that reveals so much. This is the moment that reveals much when we are pursuing and embracing and being obedient to the Holy Spirit in this sanctification process and allowing the Spirit of God to tell us and prune us and shape us and mold us, and we continue down that path right up until we get to the point where the path is narrow, and now the Spirit is saying, oh, that thing... That thing you can't proceed with. 
And when that thing that you cannot proceed with is your favorite idol, that thing that you can't take the next step with is your favorite sin, the one that owns you the most, your mistress that you are the most committed to. At that moment, you literally have two choices, right? And what you do in that moment determines so much, right? The pruning that's taken place in most of our lives, quite frankly, is pretty easy pruning. I can say that for myself. There's been some that have been hard, some that have been somewhat painful. But when I'm, when I'm going down that narrow path and it's starting to get real narrow, and the things that I'm still holding on to are the things that I really love, the idols that I'm holding on to are the ones that I'm really committed to that nobody else knows about. And, and what the Spirit of God is, is calling me to do in that moment is literally submit to his word and literally submit to his ways and literally drop what he's asking me to drop because I cannot step forward until I do drop it. What we do at that moment, saints, is huge for our togetherness. Huge. It's a key moment. It's a key moment in the sanctification process. And if we're going to embrace the sanctification process, and as we embrace the sanctification process, that key moment is going to continue to happen. Listen to me. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. As long as Christ is the head of this church, and as long as we are submitted and surrendered to the Spirit of God, that moment is going to continue to happen. What moment? The moment when you have to lay down an idol. The moment when you have to stop sinning. The moment when you have to be obedient to God's word and God's ways. And bend to the word instead of having the word bend to you. And not stop and not quit and not pause, but rather obey so that you can keep moving forward. If you are not having that moment... If you are not regularly having that moment, first and foremost, you're likely not born again. Because someone that, who does not have the Spirit of God in them will not do that. Okay? If you are not regularly and ongoingly having that process, but you have, but it's not ongoing, you're probably grieving the Spirit. You're probably being disobedient. You're probably already saying no to a step that's in front of you. Okay, so this is the, yes, ma'am. So we're saying we are challenged to change, to not stay like we are. God not just puts us in, allows us to be put into where you have to allow the Holy Spirit to have control. I don't have any control over myself. I must allow the Holy Spirit to help me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
A pure vessel, right? A pure vessel is is the is the is the model that Christ set for us. An absolutely pure vessel, right? So if sanctification is purification, what is purification in its you know in its most simple form? It is a removal of the contaminants, right? Think about a a pure glass of water. What is that? It's you take all the junk out of it. You filter all the junk out of it. Well, that filtration process is the path of sanctification, yeah. right? And, and um, Isaiah chapter 35 talks about this as a path, yeah. right? Jesus says, those who follow me must be where I am. You got to follow me. You, we're going down this thing, yeah. right? We're going to go down this narrow path. And guess what? It's going to continue to get narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And you will continue down that path to the extent that you begin to prune or drop or let go or remove the things that no longer allow you to proceed. Because the hallway is getting that small. Yeah. Right? You got to start walking this way. Yeah. And if you're trying to carry along something from your old life, here's, here's, the, here's the moment, saints, the moment we're talking about. Yeah. The moment when the Lord says you can't take that. Where I'm, where I'm inviting you to go, you cannot take that. So what's your decision right now? That's the moment I'm talking about. Listen to me. We're talking about togetherness. And a togetherness that is supernatural. And a togetherness that is available to us. And a togetherness that we have the opportunity to embrace or the opportunity to destroy. In the moment that I am talking about, this moment that I am talking about, when, when the journey down the, the path of sanctification requires you to make a choice that you do not want to make, that in your flesh you would never make, yeah. that only by the conviction of the Spirit and power of the Spirit could you ever make, yeah. it's that moment that I'm talking about. And it's that moment that the Lord wants to school this congregation on how we walk through it. Yeah. Right? And there's three pieces to how we walk through it. There's my piece as a pastor. I am getting schooled right now, schooled on how I walk through that moment in my own life and when I see it in others. There is another piece, which is congregational, community. How does the community walk through that? When we see that happening and as we see that's happening, when someone gets stuck, when we get stuck in community and we don't want to let go, but we can't move forward if we do, what, how do we deal with that, right? And as an individual, when the truth is right in front of me, I cannot take this thing that I'm committed to, I cannot take it into my new life. Yeah. And the Lord's putting a step right in front of me. What's the decision I'm going to make? Dude, guys, this is the moment that I'm talking about. Yeah. And how we walk through this moment and how we continue to walk through this moment will either, I'm telling you, either absolutely bring about supernatural togetherness or it will divide us. How we walk through that moment will either unite us or it will separate us. And that is the foundation and the big picture and the end for today. And I pray that each of us would meditate on this moment 
Meditate on this moment. Everyone understand the moment. The moment that's being highlighted. The moment in which the Lord is, is calling me to speak reveals so much. This moment reveals so much. What you do in this moment reveals so much. Do not be deceived by what you feel. Do not be deceived by what your heart says. Do not be deceived by what every, any other church says. Judge the fruit of what happens in this moment because it will reveal a lot. The moment when the highway of holiness becomes very narrow and when we are reminded that we don't get to take our idols or our sin or our strongholds or our deceptions or our pride or our gossip or our sexual immorality or our lewdness or our drunkenness or our revelries or anything else, we don't get to take it. Every step down this way of holiness requires us to drop something else. Be made more pure and more holy and more consecrated. And each of us, to the extent that we are committed to the Holy Spirit, will continue to have this moment. And if we are going to do life together, we will have this moment in this community. And God wants to show us how to love each other through it the right way. He wants to show me how to pastor through it. And he wants to show each of us as individuals how to take that step. And to the extent I believe absolutely with everything in me that we align with what's written as it relates to this moment in particular that we will experience both sanctification on levels we've never seen before and more specific to what the Lord is highlighting right now, a unity and a togetherness that we've never experienced before. And that's what's being offered. I, I love what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Yep. Yeah, but, I, but I live. I live not I, but Christ. Yeah, the, the life I live is because who we here. That's right. Because of what he did. He redeemed us. As the prophet redeemed us. He fought with blood bought person. Redeemed at the cross. And the highway of holiness says this. No fools will go on it. No wicked will be there. It will be only those who walk in the way, those whom the Lord has redeemed and who the Lord has rescued. Amen. That's Isaiah 35. In the Old Testament, when the camels got, the camels had to get down on their knees and crawl, and the, the, all of the baggage had to come off as they went in to crawl in that, that little door. Yeah. I remember, um, I think it was on um, uh, Alice in Wonderland, maybe, when, um, when she was, like, going down, or maybe it was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I can't remember. But there, but there was a movie where there was, like, this long hallway, and it kept getting more and more narrow and narrow and narrow, and there was, like, a little tiny door at the end. That's exactly the picture the Lord gave me. Like, that's what the highway of holiness is like. And the, and the thing that stops us from proceeding down it is the stuff we're carrying. Can't carry it. Can't carry it and keep keep going. Can't carry it and, and proceed. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We pray that it would take root in the hearts of your saints and bear much fruit for your name's sake, for your glory, and for the accomplishment of your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.